Hello and welcome to Legal Thinking from RWK Goodman. I'm joined by Ed Wooten. Hello. And I'm Liam Bear. There you are. In light of recent events, uh, well, semi-recent events, uh, which was the collapse of FTX, which was a crypto exchange, uh, in this episode we've decided to speak to Dan Dodman, who is a dispute resolution litigator. Yep, that's right. Um, and we... Uh we, basically, I, I asked him to give us a little lowdown about what he does uh, in um, uh, specifically in civil fraud, which is just one area of his work, which um, is impacted by crypto. Um, and also just to give us the inside track on, you know, how crypto fraud might work um, and how people can take action to get their money back if they've been defrauded. Uh, without any further ado, let's roll tap. Indeed. So yeah, Dan. Um, thanks for joining us today, um, and welcome to the to the podcast. Um, I guess my my first thing is if you could just tell us a little bit about what you do in in the area of uh, civil fraud, just briefly. Yeah, of course. So um, I um, I'm a partner in our, our litigation team, and um, you know, as you say, one of my sort of special specialty areas is is civil fraud, um, and that's quite broad. Remit. So we, we tend to help clients um, when they they think or have been subject to an element of fraud. So that covers both elements of it. So both identifying whether a fraud has happened. Mm-hmm. So the investigatory aspects of going into a you know business and looking at um, various pieces of evidence and trying to establish exactly what's happened, which is obviously a pretty crucial part of the process. Yeah. And then once we have worked out what's happened, um, effectively bringing proceedings t- to recover funds. Um, and that goes the whole way from starting legal proceedings against a party to tracing assets to looking at different jurisdictions if money's been moved to different places. And also, um, you know, looking at the ways that, that money's been moved. So crypto and various other different things, which I think is what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um yeah, crypto. I mean, is 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 obviously in the last few years become a growing kind of um, uh, passion for quite a lot of people. I just wonder. Obviously, we hear a lot about crypto fraud um, and that kind of thing. Is is it a particularly rife area for fraud? What kind of frauds kind of occur in the crypto space that you've that you've probably seen? Yeah. So, um, what what you see often with um, crypto is that it's often a vehicle for what I would describe as traditional fraud. So although mm-hmm. um, it's all very new and, um, you know, interesting and exciting, some of the underlying things that happen are actually very old or certainly have been around for a long time. And what you're seeing is um, the, the crypto either being used as a um, a vehicle to, to commit those frauds or it's been used in a way that entices people to fall for those frauds in the in the first place. So, what what I mean by that is um, either the assets are sort of dispersed using crypto, um, or alternatively, people sign up for things like investment frauds, for example. Right. Um, because crypto is you know new and exciting, and there's lots of lots of messaging out there about you know how much money certain people have made. Um, but at its heart. Um, you're still looking at the same sort of investment frauds that you've had really for you know potentially hundreds of years. Things like Ponzi schemes and you know all the rest of it. So is that is is it that newness that is the reason why potentially crypto fraud is just so or so much fraud occurs in the crypto space? Just because it's so relatively new, people don't understand it. They don't know when they're basically 
being sold something that isn't real or all that kind of thing is that what you see a lot yeah i think i think that's right isn't that i think that's absolutely right i think the um I, I think it, it, it's partly that. I think it's also partly um, that there's been so much coverage about such high returns given to people, um, for, you know, legitimately through sort of crypto investment. Yep. Um, so it makes the, you know, the sort of standard investment frauds look more feasible and more, you know, more realistic. So it's one of these things where, you know, if someone says, I'm going to give you sort of 200, 300% return. Yeah, um, you're going to try for it. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's, there's often a lot of question marks raised, but in circumstances where, um, you know, actually there's lots of media coverage about people who have had, you know, 200, 300%, 2,000%, 3,000% returns off crypto, suddenly those kind of numbers don't look so ridiculous and people go, well, actually, I wouldn't mind signing up and, and having a go at this. Yeah, so it's not the it's not the technology in of itself. It's just the the people using the hype around the technology to basically take advantage. I, I guess, yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think there's also a lack of understanding, uh, just generally across the board, from lots of people about how crypto works or or, or, or what it means. Yeah. Um, and I often think when you are looking at things that people don't understand, there's obviously much. It's much harder for people to make an assessment about whether what they're being told is potentially fraudulent or you know completely unrealistic or you know something that wouldn't possibly happen and um, mm. there's an that becomes an element of trust because you're relying on someone else to tell you what the situation is and that that is a an area where fraudsters can and um, you know really make a lot of waves potentially yeah. so when a fraud actually occurs in the crypto space and the, in your experience, what what kind of what kind of stage are people at when they usually kind of come to you and they've ex, when they've experienced crypto fraud? Are they, uh, you know, what what is it that's tipped them over the edge to realizing, oh, I've, uh, you know, it's all gone? Or because there's certain instances where uh, I've read about, you know, people put all this money in and then people like just the the, the crypto fund just completely disappears or or something like that. Is that a common kind of trend or are there different uh different kind of circumstances that occur that bring people to um lawyers such as yourself yeah no that i mean that's that, that's pretty that's pretty bang on right i mean what you what you find normally is is that people will fraudsters will um take advantage of individuals and they will keep on taking advantage for as long as they possibly can mm -hmm. so and um, they will push you know they will ask for more investments they will say oh the investments come in in certain circumstances, you know, um, what you find is that, um, you know, you, you may get some element of return back. So people get a little bit of money back and they go, oh, that's great. Um, you know, I'll put some more money in. Um, but there will always come a point where the forces realize that, you know, someone's getting suspicious or that there's, there's no more facility to get anything else out of those individuals. And at that point, they will they will disappear off or there are certain circumstances and certain clients that I've had where, for example, the, the police have been involved or the FCA have been involved. Right. Um, and, you know, that sort of flags people up at an early an early stage. So like, they get contacted by the FCA saying you may have been involved in, in this or what, how's that? Okay. Yeah, uh, or, or there's, a, there's press releases. I mean, the, the FCA uh, uh, um, is, is a difficult area because a lot of these... Uh, cryptocurrencies aren't regulated by the FCA mm. or they won't be regulated by the FCA. Um, so that also provides less protection. But that doesn't mean that the FCA don't sort of keep an eye on 
certain organizations that are, are doing sort of brokerage work or, or might be selling other types of products associated with crypto, but the cryptocurrencies themselves generally aren't regulated. Um, so, and, and on that point, the, the, the lack of regulation in the space, does it make it more difficult for you to recover funds when this is a completely unregulated space? And Because you say that the frauds are the classic type, but does the, the nature of crypto fraud make it more difficult to recover funds because it's unregulated or anything like that? Yeah, yes, it can do. Yeah. So, um, I mean, one of the traditional ways that you would seek to recover funds for you know, a, an individual, depending on the, the values that we're talking about here, is through the financial ombudsman. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that option isn't available where there's no regulation in, in, in the way that, you know, we just talked about. Um, so that, that cuts off a ma- major avenue of potential redress and a potential complaint. And right. I, that, that's balanced, I think, by the fact that the English courts have been very proactive at a fairly early stage about dealing with crypto and have sort of got their head around the crypto environment and to the extent that it's now possible to freeze crypto assets, trace crypto assets in the in the way that you would deal with a traditional fraud if someone had moved money from, you know, one location to another location or had bought, you know, property or a car. And um, the, the English courts have taken a pretty proactive view about about that and about, you know, the actual process of um, of freezing crypto assets. And that's that's quite a well worn path now. Um, yeah. So, so from that perspective, it's quite, um, you know, it's quite positive news. Um, the difficulty comes that, you know, freeze injunctions and tracing of assets is an expensive process, um, and it's a process that will cost that costs quite some considerable amounts of money. So, really, it's only appropriate where the fraud is quite, you know, large scale, really. Okay. Um, I mean, you're talking about the, the tracing of funds and seeing things moving about. Does the blockchain technology make it easier for that tracing? Because obviously with blockchain technology, the idea is you get this full log of where money has been moved and all that kind of thing. Is that in any, Does that have any bearing on tracing money? It, it does. Yeah, it does. And it can actually make it a little bit easier mm-hmm. um, to, to find where the money is, has gone. I mean, ultimately, you know, it's going to be taken out of the system or spent on something somewhere. It doesn't yep. normally just sort of exist as crypto forever um, yeah. but the actual process of tracing and finding out where assets are can actually be slightly easier um, but what you tradition what you traditionally find is it's also probably slightly easier for those assets to disappear into different jurisdictions which are particularly hard to to enforce against or to, to go against um, okay. but and, and that that you know that's a challenge. Yeah. So if 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 someone is listening to this and they think, okay, I, I've I've been um, the the victim of a crypto fraud, what is the first step in taking legal action? Well, I think the first the first step before that is to is is to make the assessment that you might well be subject to one of these things. Okay. Um, and to to sort of cut contacts um, with the potential fraudster, or at the very least, not. You know, keep providing assets. One of the things that I that I do see, and and it's very easy, you know, when we're sort of cold light of day to to, to say that this is, you know, people ought to be more aware of this. But mm-hmm. these are all quite com- complicated, quite sophisticated social engineering exercises, mm-hmm. and there's there's a huge amount of pressure to put more money in, to invest more, to do this. And if people are putting, you know, you under pressure or time limited pressure or saying 
you know, if you don't invest this extra amount in crypto by this particular time, then that's going to you're going to lose all the rest of the money that you've all, that we've already put in. Anything like that should be flagging. You know, should be flagging a little red flag. Yeah, yeah. Red, red flags pretty early, pretty early, um, because a lot of these frauds rely on you not taking a you know step back and and looking at things. And um, I think I think the second thing often is um, the, the use of crypto should also just by itself sometimes form form a form a red flag. So okay. what, what we see is sort of push payment frauds. So people intercepting email. E- emails and you know asking for money or diverting money from one place to another so you know you think you're paying one person but actually paying a fraudster mm-hmm. um, but also quite often and this this is increasingly often situations where people have been called saying that your your bank's been compromised and um, we need you to transfer money over here or you know we need you to put the money into crypto anything like that is a real should be a real red flag so the first step is to try and identify these things you know as early as you possibly can and then stop interacting with the fraudsters i think then you know it really is a case of sort of picking up the phone and trying to get legal advice from um anyone you know who who has some sort of specialty in the civil fraud area or um particularly has some crypto experience um and they should then be able to talk you through that process you know fairly fairly quickly um uh, you know, I, I've seen so many of these these types of fraud, and it, it is really, really easy to stick your head in the sand and hope that it's not you that's been that's yeah. been defrauded. But you know, the, the quicker that you can I, sort of identify that and potentially analyse it, the better. Okay, great. Some really practical advice there, as well as some really interesting information. So, yeah, thanks very much for your time, Dan. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you to Dan Dodman for joining us on this episode of Legal Thinking. Yeah, it was uh, as you could tell. There's a lot of nuance to. Uh, crypto. I was specifically interested about what he, the kind of the flip side of the deregulation, meaning that it's hard to get the money back because there's no official process in place. But because of the technology being on blockchain, um, sometimes it's actually easy to trace where it goes. So yeah, that was really interesting. Um, if you want to find out more about common crypto scams and what to do if you've been defrauded, there is actually a blog post on our website. Can you believe it, Liam? I, 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 I'm beside myself. I know, it's amazing. Um, it's uh, by Moses Akanmu. He has written basically all about um, how people commonly get scammed, what the red common red flags are, as we discussed today, and what you should do if you've been scammed. So basically just more detail about what we've discussed today. So yeah, take a look. I've put the link in the show notes. Um, and yeah, take a look. If you've enjoyed this episode of Legal Thinking, do rate it five stars in your podcast provider of choice. That really helps other people find us. Um, what else do we say? I've forgotten. Um, yeah, like and subscribe, everyone. Just do all the do all the things that give us more algorithmic clout. Basically, we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.